So welcome to to Gaia House. Welcome to this retreat with myself and Martine. We'll be here for the next uh, seven days together. And this will be what we call a, a study and meditation retreat. Now what that means uh, in broad outline is that we will be doing a retreat in a style which is familiar to most of you who've been at Guy House before or to similar centers. In other words, it will follow the, the format of a vipassana or an insight meditation retreat held in silence and broken into periods of sitting meditation and walking meditation which will run throughout the entire week we're together on the same schedule which is posted on the board outside. But the difference will be that there will be more input in terms of the exploration of ideas and opportunities for uh, discussion, for questions and answers, for comments, for feedback, both in this room and also if you wish to have personal meetings with either Martine or myself. So we'll be exploring together not just the, uh, the actual meditation practices themselves, which will be largely those of cultivating mindfulness and attention and concentration, but also some of the key ideas which contextualize those practices. I don't think uh, Buddhism can be reduced to simply becoming proficient in certain spiritual exercises. But those exercises or those practices are um, embedded, are made sense of by a framework of ideas. Some of these ideas are somewhat philosophical. Uh, some of them might be rather obscure, ancient Indian concepts that we're having to rethink a bit. And some of you will be familiar with Buddhist thought, others I know less so. And in the seminars each morning, my um, task will be to try to uh, reflect on some of these, these basic concepts, like impermanence and suffering, dependent origination, not-self, the Buddhist understanding of, of, of consciousness and so on, and try to make them come alive in a way that speaks to our condition here and now and provides us with a, uh, a conceptual framework in which we can um, pursue and perhaps gain some clearer understanding of the sorts of formal meditation practice that we will be doing 
One of the things that I think both of us will be emphasizing is that the practice of the Dhamma or the teachings of the Buddha are not um, something we only really do when we sit here in meditation, but also provide us with a template for living our lives in all areas, in our work, in our family lives, in our private lives, in our uh, creative lives. And so we'll continuously be, be questioning the, the tendency we might have to reduce the notion of practice to doing something cross-legged on a cushion, doing some exercise, and trying constantly to expand the notion of practice to include um, the totality of a human life. Since this is a meditation retreat, then obviously we will be focusing on those areas of practice that we can um, most effectively cultivate in this kind of environment. And in particular, we'll be focusing on the practice of mindfulness, the practice of concentration, of paying attention, of being still and noticing what's going on. And it's in this respect, perhaps, that we need to reflect on the kind of environment that we're going to be exploring here and trying to sustain. I've already mentioned the idea of silence, but perhaps behind all of this is the recognition that we are stepping back from our everyday lives. I'm sure most of us have come here from a busy life, either in work or with family. And I suspect some of us too have had to wrap up all kinds of little loose ends to free ourselves to come and spend a week at Guy House. So I suspect many of us are a bit tired. We may have also had quite a long journey. So we're not going to say a great deal this evening. We want everyone to be able to have a good night's rest. But one of the uh, foremost characteristics of a retreat is that it is a retreat. In other words, we retreat, we, we step back for a period of days and we leave behind the ongoing responsibilities, um, tasks, relationships, worries, plans that constitute so much of our daily lives. And in the sort of world we live in today, very often we are um, overloaded with data, whether that's an endless stream of emails or whether it's uh, non-stop meetings or pressure of work or study or whatever it might be. And a retreat gives us the opportunity not to reject these things, which would be a great mistake, but rather to just step back and to just put that aside 
for this period of time and thereby allowing ourselves an opportunity to reconnect with our primary experience of being who we are, of being human, of, of stripping aside or bracketing off for these days our sense of, of who we are in the world, our social identity, our professional identity, our persona, the mask or masks that we wear to negotiate and get by in our daily lives. We're stepping back from that. In classical Buddhist language, this is sometimes called renunciation. Now, renunciation for many of us might suggest a rather more extreme, ascetic um, parting from the world, a renouncing of things. But we're not in this room monks or nuns, but rather we are lay people, and I doubt there's many of us who um, are particularly willing or have any interest in giving that up. We enjoy our lives. And yet there must have been something within what's been going on for us in the last year or two or three or last months that has given us the, the inspiration or the need or the curiosity perhaps to explore our life from another perspective. And that's what we're offering on this week is a period of time together under rather unusual conditions because let's face it, most of us probably do not live in a Buddhist retreat center. We're not used to following uh, a fairly strict schedule every day. We're not used to keeping silence. Uh, this, in that sense, is a rather artificial environment. We might even compare it to a sort of laboratory-like space in which we're going to perform certain experiments. No scientist would presumably want to spend their whole lives in a laboratory. But there are very uh, specific tasks that can be accomplished in those environments that are difficult to do elsewhere. So perhaps Guy House is like a kind of mindfulness lab, a place that is set up in all of its aspects from the way the, the house is run, to the schedule, to the various tasks that you're allocated during the day, to the talks, to the meditations and so on, all of which we hope will support um, the cultivation of consciousness, of awareness, of attention, in such a way that we reach a greater sense of, uh, of focus, of stillness, which can begin to serve as a, a platform for looking more intently, more penetratingly, perhaps also more um, mysteriously, allowing ourselves to uh, settle into the, the present moment, 
to settle into the uh, flow of events, both those that are going on inside our own minds, inside our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our memories, all of the things that will be welling up within us in the course of these days together, over which we have little command, in a way, or control. It's simply how our organism is bubbling forth um, into consciousness. And likewise, of course, all of the external things that we see and hear and smell and taste and touch and feel, that we're given an opportunity here um, to, to train ourselves in these uh, qualities of mind, not, I feel, as an end in itself, but rather to help us um, uh, establish a certain sensibility or to reinforce a sensibility or perhaps to remind us of a sensibility that is not driven by external pressures or demands that are placed by other people or institutions on our lives, but rather um, an openness and a presence uh, to life as it unfolds and it presents itself to us moment to moment. To try, as it were, to, uh, to let go, to leave behind so many of our compulsive concerns, which are problematic, not per se, because they might be things that we really do have to do, we have responsibilities to fulfill, but at the same time, the, this compulsiveness, this busyness, this, this sense of, of always being under pressure, actually obscures or blocks or in some way prevents us from being open to the sheer fact that we are here at all. Now, in Chinese Buddhism, they have this expression, uh, the great matter of birth and death. And that is taken to be really what uh, the practice of the Dhamma is concerned to address, the great matter of birth and death. In modern philosophical language, we might call that our existential condition the fact that we have been uh, thrown into this world. I mean, that's how it's sometimes described by, by people like Kierkegaard and others. In other words, we find ourselves here. Um, perhaps as an adolescent, as a younger person, there are moments when we are suddenly shocked by the fact that we're here. We're in this world. Of course, we know that. But there are moments, I think, when it somehow hits home. In the classical legend of the Buddha himself, uh, these experiences are described in terms of his leaving his privileged existence as a prince behind and encountering for the first time a sick person, an aging person, a corpse. Now this is legend. It's not, I think, likely to have actually happened like that. But what it points to are those moments in one's life when 
one's uh, awareness of who one is is suddenly uh, shocked almost by this recognition of our plight or our condition as mortal, fragile creatures. And it's that encounter with the great matter of birth and death, both the, uh, the extraordinary uh, recognition that we are here in this world, this extraordinary world, and yet the only certainty that we have in this state is that one day we'll be ejected from it. It will stop at death. And I think this is important to keep coming back to because the perspective on life that we're going to be exploring here is one uh, that's concerned with addressing you know, the basic questions that religions and philosophies have sought pretty much since human history began uh, to answer in an intelligent way. What does it mean to be here? What should I do now, tomorrow, the next day, um, in the face of a life that may be cut short at any moment? It's to take this, uh, these, these existential questions rather seriously, perhaps more seriously than we would normally. And we're not um, exploring these ideas purely as a study in existentialist philosophy, for example, but we're seeking to ground these points, these ideas, these images that Martine and I will introduce to you in the actual felt experience that we are present with as we sit for 45 minutes watching our breath. That the breath when we look at it in that perspective, is not simply a kind of mechanical bellows effect, but rather is a very poignant and very crucial um, instance of our own mortality. That one day we will not breathe in again. So meditating on the breath may help us concentrate but when we start considering uh, the, the, the implications of being a breather, a breathing being, we, I think, unavoidably um, touch something very um, much at the core of our humanity, of our sentient beingness, as the Buddhists might put it, that we are um, fragile, interconnected beings dependent upon the environment for our breath, for our life, for our nourishment. And in a way to try to spend this week really touching base with that primary sense of who we are. And not just, you know, sort of passively and blankly sort of eyeballing it a bit more closely, but really trying to, to sense and feel our way into this extraordinary experience that we are in.
And the tools of awareness that we'll be offering through this week will hopefully all help us to keep grounded in this in these primary questions of our life. And it's on that basis that the path, the eightfold path of the Buddha, um, will begin to uh, perhaps take on another meaning. I think it's very important that if we are uh, concerned with, with uh, these ideas that we're going to be discussing, that we constantly seek to apply them in a felt way to our actual moment-to-moment experience. And that, I feel, is going to be the, uh, the tension, perhaps, that we'll experience through this week, where we'll find ourselves perhaps very interested in some ideas or bored by certain ideas. But rather than just sort of uh, treating them as just so much froth on the surface of our life, really trying to ask, well, what does that really mean for me now? How might that make an actual a difference in how I think, how I speak, how I communicate, how I present myself in the world? That I'm, I'm not interested, I don't think Martine is either, in trying to access some kind of purely spiritual experience, uh, but rather to think of spirituality, which is not a word I greatly like, but I can't find an alternative, uh, to recognize that that dimension of our existence is one that can find uh, an outlet, an expression, an embodiment in everything that we do. So, just to come back to the uh, the, the, the format of the retreat. In the mornings, I'll be exploring ideas, um, usually based upon uh, early Pali texts, although I'm not going to give a you know, detailed analysis of passages, but rather use these passages as a starting point for reflection on the kinds of themes that we've already mentioned. Um, in the afternoon, there'll be an opportunity to, to question some of that, to uh, comment upon it, to enter into a sort of conversation together, although I realize there are a lot of us in this room. And in the evening, Martine will give what is more typically a Dharma talk, in which I suspect she will seek to... Uh, tease out the practical implications of how we actually go about some of these tasks and what they might mean. I don't know exactly what the coordinator told you about reading. Probably they told you you shouldn't do it. But since this is um, a study retreat, uh, we don't uh, uh, have uh, any objection to your... um, spending uh, a period or a couple of periods each day um, uh, reading a text that you may have brought, if you want, it's perfectly fine, in fact, almost preferable, I'd say, and not to read. But if you do have something of that nature that you'd like to be looking at during the retreat, um, by all means do so. But notice how you're doing it. 
so often the written word in our culture is our first uh, uh, sort of avenue of um, getting distracted. And that can be reading something quite spiritual. It's often somehow more um, agreeable uh, to get involved in a piece of text uh, than it is to actually be present with what might be a rather un- uncomfortable feeling in the body or thought or, or anxiety or something. So are we reading in order to somehow avoid something else or are we reading in a, in a, in a thoughtful, reflective way in which we somehow bring that text into conversation with our our actual experience here and now? Can we read more reflectively in the same way that we're walking slowly in the grounds? Can we read slowly in the book? Can we re-read and, 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 and develop thereby um, a more reflective kind of relationship to hopefully the wise words that are contained in text. Likewise, if you want to take notes, that's okay. You're, you're, that's absolutely fine to do that. Um, but again, noticing to what extent t- note-taking might be another kind of compulsive activity that's trying to somehow uh, retain what's being said, to somehow own it and possess it for yourself. You know, why do we take notes? Why, what is it that we're noting down? To think about this, to reflect upon it, and to see where the motive to do that comes from. Um, most of you are probably aware that all of the talks that are given here, both by myself and Martine, will in any case be available at the end of the retreat. So you can have them quite easily. That's pretty much all I want to say. Um, Most of you, we're aware, have experience in meditation, uh, and so perhaps much of what we're saying is something you're quite familiar with. But I think it's worth highlighting uh, some of these points, and particularly um, silence. This is quite an important element of the uh, learning environment that we try to sustain in the course of this week, uh, which it helps us very much in learning to become more still and quiet in our own minds. And it allows us also to uh, find another way of relating to one another, which is non-verbal. I think Martine will probably say more about that. Um, But the problem with speaking is that even though you say, I'm only going to say a few words to this person, there can often be a kind of contagious effect that um, it begins to spread when one or two people start having little conversations behind the oak tree or wherever. So we ask you very much to try to respect that silence. And of course, if you have you know, anything coming up in the course of the week um, that is, is troubling for you or is, is worrying you, then please uh, come and see either Martine or myself. We are available for you um, at all times. And there's a notice board out there. If you need to see us, put a note up. 
um, or if there's if it's very important, then just come up after a sitting or a talk and ask if you can come and have a chat with us. Uh, there will be formal signed up interviews as well, but for anything outside of that, uh, don't hesitate to uh, interact with us. So like Stephen, I'm very happy to see all of you here today and to spend uh, eight days with you uh, for this retreat. And I am very aware that, you know, some of you we have seen before, uh, some of you are quite new to the meditation. Also, some of you are hopefully in good health. I'm also aware that some of you have uh, maybe feel a little weak or have some pain in the knee or in the ankle or in the back. And so, in a way, I see all the chairs <laughs> are occupied by the people who need the chairs. Also, there are more chairs. So, I mean, if some more people need them, we can also have a few more at the back. I think it's very important to take care of whatever uh, physiological condition we have. I think this is quite important. Also, the thing with coming on a retreat is that you have generally booked it long ago. Long ago, you felt full of being really ready to do this retreat and great intention, and etc., etc. And maybe, I don't know, what happened to you a week ago? You know, you could be extremely tired or you could be confused or anxious or still full of great happiness to be here. So I think we... When we arrive on a retreat, I think we can never predict how we're going to be when we arrive. And so there is this first day of arrival, which is really tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to all arrive, us two. And luckily we arrived a, a day earlier. So I was so tired yesterday. Uh, today I was so tired and yesterday too. And now I'm starting to feel better. But very likely you will feel extremely tired tomorrow. And you'll think, but that's not what I was hoping for. I was hoping to relax, yes, but I was hoping to be energetic, to really, you know, go for walks and to be clear and bright on my cushion. And very likely you will be sitting here. And, mm. Mm. You know, and often this happens on the first two days. So don't worry. It will not be like this the whole time. I can guarantee you this totally, totally. This is a, f something which happened on retreat. First day, first two days, you're generally a little tired, a little sleepy, and generally it passes, and then there is more energy. But, I mean, if we waited for this two days before we start to meditate, you know, we can't. So we go still going to try to meditate, notwithstanding maybe the tiredness, the sleepiness, and you still will have some moment of clarity. So again, to, to kind of just accept the condition of ourselves and also accept the condition of others. Because I think when we come in a group retreat, I mean, if you want to meditate, you could do what I call the kind of the romance of practice and go to a hermitage. 
But as somebody recently was telling me, I went on a self-retreat and she could not bear it. She could not bear it to be on self-retreat. And then she came to do a weekend with other people and she kept saying, oh, this is so great. This is so great to meditate with other people, with a teacher. This is so great. This is Because we come on a group retreat because it helps. I mean, it doesn't mean we cannot go to sit by oneself on a hermitage. But then the condition can be sometimes a little more difficult. So here we have the group, we have the schedule, we have the teacher. And all that, in a way, we're trying to create an environment. And each of us is part of that environment. And so I think the first day is also kind of adapting, accepting oneself, but also accepting others. And it's strange because we all came here to develop wisdom and compassion. I'm fairly sure you are interested in these things. And it's very strange. You come on a silent retreat and so quickly you start to have all these critical judgments about yourself and others. And you think, this is weird. You know, it's strange. So in a way to see that's what seems to be what happened. We kind of seems to, we have this judgmental faculty which is useful. This is what will become wisdom. And at the same time, we can sometimes go into this hyper-criticism, and then you look at everything. Hmm, this is, hmm, kind of like, it's like nearly like you have a radar for things which are not right. Your thought or somebody's behavior or whatever. So again, to see this is part of the practice, this is part of what we have to do. And to me, this is very important, that the practice, of course, is a practice of walking, of sitting, but it's also the practice of sharing the space together and of, in a way, being supportive of each other. And to me, within that, we are in the silence, because I think that the silence is part of the training. It's very interesting, the silence. You are in silence, but my, how are you going to talk inside yourself? You're going not only to talk to yourself, but you're going to have lots of imaginary conversation. Kind ones, negative ones, you know, there are different types. And that's part of what happened. There are all these things which happen in our mind. And the silence helps us to see, ah, I am thinking of this. And also the silence and the practice will help us to see, hmm, I have thought this before. You will notice, you know, your thoughts are fairly repetitive. And, you know, we don't have an original thought every two minutes. And so possibly during this week, we could have a little holiday. You know, it's holiday time. And we could have a little holiday from our repetitive thought. We will have them, but maybe to see, ah, do I really need to think this again for the 150th time? Or possibly, could I come back to the breath? Could I come back to the body? Could I come back to being here? So really, to, to in a way, to see that the meditation practice, yes, it's about mindfulness. But it's also very much about remembering our intention to be aware. And that when we are aware, 
We are aware in a wide way. This is in a way the gift of awareness. But we're not just aware of the breath. We come back to the breath, we come back to the whole moment in a different way. Instead of this kind of sometimes this obsession. So that's what I would suggest during this time we are together to try to cultivate this atmosphere, this kind atmosphere, so that although we are in silence, we can have, still we can kind of, you know, see each other. You're not obliged to look at your feet all the time. This is not this kind of retreat. You can look at each other. Some people might want to look at their feet all the time. This is okay as long as you don't bend your head too much, you know, kind of <laughs> look where you're going. Also, you can smile at each other, but don't expect that everybody will smile at you. You know, I will, but you don't have to smile back to me. You know? But just if we can have a congenial atmosphere, at the same time to be aware, a bunch of people is in the hermitage wing, and they're doing long-term retreat, and they're not going to look at us. They're not going to smile at us, and don't take it personally. It's just they on their retreat. They might be on retreat for two months, and this is part of their retreat. So also don't think they're all gloomy and depressed. They're not. <laughs> they might look like it, but they're not. <laughs> they, I mean, they're staying, so they're obviously enjoying it. <laughs> So just to be careful, you know, the silence, often we start to have this strange idea about oneself, about others. So really to cultivate generosity to ourselves and to others, to cultivate harmlessness to ourselves, to others, and to really see how we can share the space together and to see that all of us are helping each other to be here by coming to the schedule. Of course, most of the people will do most of the schedule most of the time. But of course, some people who might have certain illness or certain difficulty, time to time, might not be here. There might also be some work retreatants who might come a little and then have to do their work. But most of the people will be here. And then the schedule is not like a intense schedule, we don't ask you to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's also not a light schedule insofar that, you know, you have to do whatever is there. But there will be a little less walking because we have the discussion, there is also the seminar, but there are the free times after breakfast, after lunch, after the dinner, where I would really encourage you, if the weather continues to be good, to really go for walks. To also use the fact that we are in nature, the fact that we are in this beautiful place. And so, you know, to really benefit from that. So we do the meditation here, we do the, some sitting, uh, regular meditative sitting, we'll give instruction on that outside, and also during the free time. Of course, you can rest if you need to do this. If you want to read, Stephen mentioned you could read if you wanted as long as it's kind of more spiritual book and not kind of crime novel or thing like that. <laughs> but really to read, to see it as part of the practice. So only doing it from the free time and not read and eat at the same time. <laughs> this is not the idea. That, you know, maybe you want to, 30 minutes a day, you want to read a book, then to do it during your free time, maybe in your bedroom and to really do it in a kind of meditative way. Also, of course, if you want, some people, a few people might want to, to write a journal, 
Again, this is okay to do it again as a practice for a short period of time during the free time in the room. But as long as you're not sitting in meditation thinking of what you're going to write in your diary, just be in the moment, be present when you do that. And if anybody, I don't know if you brought kind of, uh, of course, most of you might have um, phones, mobile phone. And of course, I presume a few of you might not be able to totally switch off. But if you really have to use them to do it really outside of Gaia House and do it as rarely as possible. Uh, and not, do not text in your bedroom, please. Do not use the phone in your bedroom, please. If any of you has a computer, especially if you share a room, do not use your computer in the room. Last time there was a retreat, somebody was preparing a thesis in the bedroom with five of the people, which was a little kind of distracting to the other. So please, don't do that. And also, in a way, respecting the fact that, you know, we do what we can do at Gaia House, but some of you have to share rooms and to really respect the space. If somebody is a little noisy at night, I hope not. There is always earplugs, lots of earplugs at Gaia House. So please don't hesitate. If you have difficulty sleeping on the first night, which often happens in a new place, don't worry about not sleeping. But try to see that you're resting the body and try to really come back to the breath, come back to the body, come back to awareness. And often that will help you to relax a little so maybe you can sleep better. We are here, as Stephen said, we are here, we are available, we are here for you. And we will, uh, set, tomorrow I'll put a sign-up sheet so you can sign up for interviews. Due to your number and to the format of the retreat, we can just see a few of you during the retreat. Quite a number, but you cannot see both of us. Some can, yeah, you can only see one of us, if at all, during the retreat. But if you have something you really want to see us, just sign up. We will see you outside of this time. Tomorrow, I will have some people sign up, that I will sign them up because I want to see them on the first day. So look to see if your name is not there, either because I want to see them at the beginning, either because they've really not done any retreat before and I really want to talk to them at the beginning. So it's just kind of to check things at the beginning. Outside of that, anybody else who wants to sign for me or Stephen can just sign up any of the other days. Also, what I'd like to, to talk about is the meditation. That what I'll do is that at 9.30, every day we will have a 30-minute seat before Stephen's seminar. And at 9.30, point, I am going to give five minutes instruction of meditation as a theme for the day. If you don't want to follow the theme of the day, this is fine. If you have your own meditation practice, which you prefer to do, please do it. But I will give a theme for the day. For example, first we'll start with the breath, then the body, then the sound. And each day I will bring what I call a tool of awareness. And then, you know, you can, what I would suggest is that you try it for the 30 minutes after I give the instruction. Then in the afternoon at 2.30, I will do a guided meditation on that theme. And the rest of the day, if you want to do that, do that. If you rather do something else, 
this is fine too. This is just an offering, a way to kind of guide us through the day because also each tool of awareness generally has a slightly different effect. And I think in terms of bringing the meditation in daily life, these different tools of awareness can be very beneficial. And also, some tools might be better for some people. For example, if you have, if you have asthma, I would not recommend focusing on the breath. If you have tinnitus, I would not recommend focusing on the sound. So I think it's, again, according to your own condition that you can adapt the meditation. Then one of the main themes in terms of the meditation will be to look at how we can cultivate the two aspects of meditation, which is concentration and experiential inquiry, so that we can we'll most of the time look at meditation through these two aspects that we're trying to cultivate in order to cultivate, develop creative awareness. So that, in a way, will be the theme, what I will talk a lot about. Then there is one thing I want to kind of really set at the beginning. In terms of when we sit in meditation, when we are on a meditation retreat, we generally come because we have an intention to cultivate mindfulness, awareness, peacefulness, calmness, clarity, wisdom, compassion. At the same time, we have to be careful between cultivation and effect. And I find a lot of the time we intend to cultivate, but generally within two minutes we are checking the meditation. How is my meditation? But when you're checking your meditation, you are not cultivating the meditation. You are going into the checking position. Is this working? After two minutes, it might take you no more than that. So be careful often to, to move from this cultivating the concentration on the breath or the looking deeply into the breath. And that's really what you have to do. And it might work or it might, you might be distracted, you might be sleepy, but that's part of the meditation. There is nothing that is not part of the meditation. I do not expect you to have a certain type of state. We're just cultivating concentration and inquiry. This is what we do. This is a job in a way. And to be careful when we move into easy working, the kind of what I call checking meditation, and then that's not meditation anymore. So trying to, to see, ah, I am checking now. Of course, we need a little checking to see, am I slouch? I need to straighten up. Am I a little asleep? Maybe I need to open my eyes. So yeah, we can do this kind of what I call brief checking. But be careful of what I call checking the effect, you know. Am I experiencing what I read in that book I should be experiencing? I cannot guarantee that you will experience what the book said. You might. You might not. Or what your friend experienced. I cannot guarantee. You know, once I had this friend who did lots of meditation, lots of meditation, you know. And he was always hoping for some really, really special meditation state. And then he never got it. And then he goes to a retreat, and this young woman who never meditated in her life got it. You know, it was. But she thought, yeah, I mean, it's weird, but, you know, and then she went back to do something else totally. And he still continued to meditate and benefit many people. So we have to be careful. What is it we're expecting? I'll talk more about that.
So what I like us to start with is, in a way, ba- you know, the, the basic meditation structure. And most of you generally have done the breath. And that's why we generally start with the breath. And with the breath, we're not, this is not a yoga exercise. So we're not trying to control the breath. So try to be careful. This is a little hard of not breathing heavily. But if you can't help it, you can't help it. Generally, there is one or two persons who might... This generally, we don't encourage that. Because you might hyperventilate and generally it kind of bothers people around you. So please, but if you have to breathe, you have to breathe in whatever way you do. But we're not asking you to breathe in a mechanical, heavy way. Not at all. Just let the breath happen. Just let it happen. And the aim of with the breath is just so that it's a point, it's an anchor. It's a point of reference. Because if we don't have a point of reference, and that's why concentration is important, if we don't have a point of reference when we meditate, then we become a little vague. So the point of reference is to kind of help us to be here. But it's not an exclusive concentration. In the foreground, we are aware of the breath. And in the background, everything else is coming and going. The thought, the sensation, the sound, the feeling. And we're aware of them in the background. We're trying to have this anchor in the breath as a means to kind of keep us here. Because we're so used to move away from here to be distracted. So the breath as an anchor, as a point of reference. So that it doesn't mean that then we're going to stick to the breath. You know, like these things, you know, like this uh, little oysters shell thing. We don't... I must be with the breath, otherwise I'm going to get a bad, you know, bad mark. Limpid. Not at all. Limpid. Limpid. Like a limpid. Like <laughs> no, but that the breath is a reference point. And so but what, what we do generally is that we come back to the breath. We are with the breath a bit, then we become distracted. Why do we become distracted? The aim of the meditation is not to stop the thought or distraction is to bring more space in it. So there is more freedom, there is more space. But there will still be thought. In the same way you can't stop hearing, you cannot stop thinking. It's just a function of the brain. But we think a little repetitively, so we're going to try to make more space in it, so it's more spacious. And it becomes more spacious if we don't get too lost in it. So we are with the breath, we get a little taken away by certain thoughts, and we come back. We're taken away by certain feelings, and we come back. By certain sounds, and we come back. So this is natural. To go away is natural. But then we come back to the anchor, to the point of reference. And so that's why the, the breath is kind of being aware of the sensation of the breath. Just being aware of how do I experience the breath. So just be close to the to the body breathing. So we can be aware of the breath at the nostril, or we can be aware of the breath at the abdomen, or we can just wait for the breath to happen and just follow its rhythm. So again, what is the best way for you? How can I be aware of the breath which doesn't make me tense? But I can use it as an anchor, as a point of reference. Another important factor with the sitting meditation will be the posture. So for those who are used to sitting, 
in meditation and just, you know, use a posture you are comfortable with. For those who are new to meditation, you can sit in different ways. You can sit... Of course, you can sit full lotus, but I can't do this anymore because of my sciatica. So that's when you put the two legs up here. And I presume very few of you will do this, so I don't need to show you. If you can do it, do it, but it's rather painful generally. Or you can do the half lotus like this. This, only if you can do it for a certain length of time, then you can do the quarter lotus, or you can do the Burmese posture, or you can do sitting with a cushion between your legs, kneeling like this, or you can sit on a bench. And I think the first day would be a good opportunity to find what works for you. Is it better to be with one cushion? Is it better to be sitting with two cushions? If your legs are too like this, if you are sitting like this, one thing I can guarantee is that you're going to have pins and needles. But it's okay. I mean, it's just life to have pins and needles if you sit like this. But so if you sit like this and your knees are too up and you feel a little destabilized, you could put also some cushion underneath the, the two legs if they're too up. So it's for you to find. One cushion, two cushion, a cushion here, a cushion here if you need or not, or a little blanket. Then the posture. If you sit on the chair, again, if you sit on the chair and you don't have a back problem, I would recommend to sit in the middle of the chair so that you're supporting your back yourself so that it's easier to be clear, to be bright. If you sit at the back of the chair because you really need to sit at the back of the chair, I would recommend that you really sit at the back so that you're really well supported and you can still be straight. And I would not recommend to be like this. I can guarantee that you will fall asleep. So this might not be kind of recommended. So what is important is to have the back straight, the shoulders are open, at the beginning of the sitting, we try to have a feeling of elongation, so we kind of start a little tall, and then we find our posture. With the hands, you can have them in the traditional posture. You can also have a little cushion underneath if it's better for you. You can have them on the lap. You can also have them my arm like this, but it's not traditional, but that's work, work for my body. So you try to find a place where you can put the hand and then just leave them there and there is no tension in the body because of where you have your hands. Then you have the eyes. Some people prefer to have the eyes closed. Some prefer to have them half closed. I would not recommend open all the time. But if you are sleepy, I would say, yes, open the eyes, look a little up, and that kind of wakes you a little if you feel sleepy, I would not recommend to close the eyes because you will feel even more sleepy. So just see if you, how it works for you. If you have the eyes half closed or half open, just gaze gently in front of you. Don't fix the carpet, otherwise it's going to kind of become a little weird. Just gaze gently, not fixing anything. So then we have the posture, because I think this is very important. The posture of the meditation 
will really actually help us in terms of developing what I feel is very essential, stability and openness. Stability so that we feel stable in the whole body and mind when we sit here. And at the same time, this feeling of openness. And often the image is to be as stable, as grounded as a mountain, and at the same time, as open as the ocean. So we could try now for about five, ten minutes. So if we all find a comfortable posture, So we find a comfortable posture, the back is straight, the shoulders are open, the head is resting lightly on the shoulders. And then gently we rest our attention on the breath. Breathing in, I am aware of the breath coming in, breathing out, I am aware of the breath coming out.
if we become distracted, remembering our intention to be aware, to be awake, and coming back to the breath, our anchor in the moment. Thank you for your attention this evening. If you want to sit a little more or to do some walking meditation, please feel free to do so. If you are tired after a long journey and a long trip, please have a good night rest, and then we'll see you tomorrow morning at 6.45. Good night.